I welcome listeners to another episode of FKU 50, where we are here to outsmart life at 50 and beyond. As always, we know that we start out with a story. I'm happy to say that I do not have a story, but our co-host Kent has a story. Take it away. So, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about my photo blue light lamp experience. Um, I'm sure you'll appreciate this, Tom. It's probably not the first time you've heard this, but uh, yeah, so I live in Knoxville, and at the time I was uh, living in Johnson City, and but my dermatologist is in Knoxville, so it's about a 100-mile commute. Without going into any major details, uh, we just liked our dermatologist, so we made the 100, made a day of it, and went over there every six months and got our checkup. So the therapy was on the docket, right? So that's going to be our treatment. So we're both going to do it together. We could drive over there mid-morning, and we were there pretty much for three or four hours, whatever it takes. So extremely painful, but, you know, we endured it. So then when we're leaving, the doctor is giving us these big, wide-brimmed hats, you know, these little things that fold up and have all oh, these yeah. promotional messages on there, drug companies, whatever. Yep. So, of course, we're warned, you know, for the next two days, three days, you need to stay away from the sun. Your face is going to peel and you're going to look like a molting snake or whatever. <laughs> so we're, we're driving away. It's three in the afternoon. We need to stop for gas. I get out of the car and start pumping gas and I start to feel my face like sizzle again, like I'm sitting under this lamp. And I'm like going, oh, shit. So we get back in the car, and Terry's kind of feeling the same pain. So we're grabbing towels, shirts, <laughs> doesn't matter what it is, and we're pinching them up and rolling them up in the windows, and we're driving down the road, and all we could see is out the front window, and we're you know, pulling those hats on a little tighter. And finally, we get like 20 miles away, and we're like, we're in pain. we got to stop. So we go into Calhoun's and you know, a little local uh, restaurant bar there, and we have to stay there until night yeah. and then come back out and finish our 100-mile trip home, so we had to become vampires, basically, I suppose, and wait for nightfall. <laughs> Thought you might appreciate that, because it... Yeah, it would not be the first time I've heard a story like that. Right. Yeah. So, FKU50 would like to welcome our dermatologist, Tom Van Heining, to the podcast. We are excited to have Tom with us today. Tom is a dermatologist physician's assistant certified. That includes him having a master's degree in medical science. Tom graduated from Nova Southeastern University in 2010. Tom enjoys cycling, running, and jujitsu, which we hoped actually to chase a rabbit tail, and, or tail trail, rabbit trail, and go down and talk about his hobbies, which are fun. But we have a first question for Tom. Sure. How do I outsmart my epidermis, my skin at life after 50, and maintain its youthful appearance from yesteryear? Well, I think it's a, that's a pretty complex question, but I think, you know, we'll, we'll do our best to try to address all the different factors. You know, I, I think the biggest thing is that when it comes to skin, especially at the age of 50 and above, a lot of the damage has already been done. And so I think a lot of what you're trying to do is, is address all of the youthful endeavors that you had, having fun in the sun. I think there's a certain amount of for each person, I think there's a genetic component as to your level of protection from the sun. You know, I mean, we all have heard about different skin types. And so we classify people that are extremely in the fair side as a skin type one to somebody of the 
darkest skin tone, which would be like a skin type 5. And so I think there's a little bit of genetic predisposition. If you're somebody that's got some some Spanish or maybe Mediterranean heritage, you're going to have a little bit better potential to have had some sun protection over the years. But I think for most of us, you know, if you're active, if you're outside, if you've been to the beach, you have incurred a certain amount of sun exposure. And so as we age, we reap what we sow. And so for different people, we have precancerous changes that occur in the skin. We've got skin cancers that pop up. And so I think it's then going to see a dermatologist and kind of strategizing where you are when you're seen. How else would you go from there, Doug, as far as what you want to address specifically? Tom is my dermatologist. So when I go to the dermatologist to have my skin checked, I come to you and you give me a full skin exam. So when I come to you, I'm going to have questions. And you know, if I have a rush, a brush, a rash, a bump, or a nodule that won't go away, you're going to look at it, and what are you going to tell me? So we'll theorize you're coming in to have your skin checked, and so we're doing a total body skin exam. And so um, basically we're going to strip you down your skivvies, pretty much do a head-to-toe skin exam. We're going to look for any kind of skin changes that are concerning, such as whether there's precancerous changes, whether there's moles that look potentially abnormal. And so kind of each case is specific in the sense of, like I said, based on what you've reaped, you're going to start to sow. And so if we see moles that are questionable, moles that are exhibiting changes, changes that we classify according to the A, B, C's, and D's, which are going to be are they asymmetric? Is the border irregular? Is there a color that's unique? And a lot of times people come in and if they see a color or a mole that's a a darker color, they come in and they ask. And it's not necessarily something to be worried about, but you're told, hey, if it's dark, if it's black, it could be a melanoma. And even though there are other types of skin cancer to be concerned about, I think everyone's really concerned about melanoma and and with, of course, validity. And so we look at all these different spots and, and we assess them and then we say, okay, is this something that's blatantly, clearly a concern as far as cancer. If it is, we're going to biopsy it. We're going to do a shave biopsy. We're going to numb the area up, shave it with a blade, send it to a pathologist to assess it and tell us what's going on. So aside then from skin cancers blatantly, we've got precancerous changes where if you notice you're starting to get these kind of scaling, crusting red areas that are having a kind of a mottled appearance or maybe even tender on the scalp or on the temples. We're going to address those in different ways, kind of like the story that was addressed earlier about the blue light. Or we're going to freeze them with liquid nitrogen. So uh, for me, as a dermatology PA, I kind of get a reputation as being somebody who likes to torture people. I think Doug can attest to that. I um, do. Yeah. So can he, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, they really just hate when I come at them with needles or freezing. I think you guys enjoy it, really. I, you know, everyone says that, but I mean, I'm not a masochist, or I don't guess I don't like to torture people, and so yeah. Also, you know, Doug, I, mean, I think you asked me about skincare after 50, and so I think that's a whole other topic is skincare in general. You know, I think if you're somebody that's that's outdoors, it's, it's active. I mean, we're in the state of Florida, so you know, I, I think that there are people that err in the side of you know wear long sleeves, don't go outside, you know, basically become a vampire. I think that's unrealistic. We live in the state of Florida because we like to have fun, we like to go outside, we like to be active, and so I think it's plain, it's smart. You know, get a sunscreen, use it. People ask the question, well, what sunscreen? What's the number? What's how does that work? You know, you're going to get such a wide range of answers with such a wide variety of statistics backing the validity of the answer or the response. For me, I like to keep it simple for people. If you give them too much information, 
you're going to overwhelm them. It's like anything, any profession. And so, you know, I kind of go by the rule book of like, there's 30, there's 50, there's 100. Which one? The answer I like to give is the one you're going to use. You know, if you find one that's a 30 or a 50, it's going to buy you more time in the sun the higher you go. But you also have to take into account what are you doing when you put sunscreen on? If you're outside, if you're sweating, if you're in the water, you just depleted the amount of usefulness of that sunscreen. There are two different types typically. There's a physical block, which is more of that kind of white, thick, kind of leaves you looking like Casper the Friendly Ghost, which is probably a better quality, but people don't like it because they don't like the aesthetic of looking, you know, like they're not cool and they've got white stuff all over their face. Like zinc oxide kind of stuff. Exactly, exactly. You know, one of the ones I really like is one called uh, Blue Lizard. I think it's what I personally use. But, you know, you don't have to get fancy with it. Like I said, if you're going to get it, if you need to afford something that's on sale, go get it and use it. Reapply it. Be smart about it. So let me ask you a question. Everyone's afraid of skin cancer or getting that, especially when you get to be 50-ish, 40s, 50s. I mean, maybe some people earlier. But, I mean, what are the chances outdoor people like we are, you know, started back in the day when sunscreen wasn't quite as popular as it is now when we were kids. What are the chances that we're going to get something that's going to be, this chronic may not be the wrong, right word, but it's going to lead to maybe even death, you know? What What is the odds of that? I mean, is it, because it seems kind of scary to me. I'm not worried about anything else, other cancers, but I probably should be. But skin cancer seems to be the one that stands out. The biggest one that would be concerned for your life would be something like melanoma. And so, of course, you know, I mean, the risk statistically is indeterminate as far as a general percent. But I do think when we look back at genetics, at heredity, if there's someone that has a first degree relative that had melanoma, then yeah, you are definitely at an increased risk for melanoma. A first degree relative? Right. So if you had a brother or a sister or a father or a mother that had a history of melanoma, then you've got a concern to really be hyper vigilant when it comes to melanoma. But you know, saying, hey, I've got a third cousin down the way, not really so much of a concern. When it comes to other skin cancers like basal cell, squamous cell, yes, typically typically basal cell, which would be the most common form, we don't really worry about it metastasizing, going to other parts of the body, putting you at risk for your life, your overall health. However, there are a few rare cases of that. Squamous cell would be kind of your moderate level of skin cancer that has a higher level of invasion deeper into the tissue and more widespread. That's why we're so aggressive with like the blue light for treating precancerous spots because 10 to 20% of precancerous lesions will go on to become a squamous cell skin cancer. So a lot of what we do is prophylactic in that kind of like going to the dentist. We're trying to treat these areas and prevent cavities or in this case, skin cancers. But Jeff, going back to the whole melanoma question, you know, that's why I think Yet again, the prophylactic look of looking at moles, looking at changes that are that are beginning and developing in moles. Oftentimes, you'll have somebody come in and say, hey, I have a history of a pre-melanoma. And that's kind of like a bad label to be used because pre-melanoma kind of presupposes that it's going to become a melanoma. And we don't know that. But what that really typically means is that they've had what we call a dysplastic mole. And so a dysplastic mole is a mole that's exhibiting changes. We grade them on a scale of mild, moderate, and severe atypia. So obviously with increasing severity, you're going to have an increasing risk for it to become a melanoma. But to say it's a pre-melanoma, we don't know. I mean, theoretically, you could have a moderately dysplastic mole that stays a moderately dysplastic mole for your entire life, but we don't know. So are we going to toss the dice? Probably not. If We're going to cut it off. Exactly. And you know I enjoy doing that. 
So, so, so I want to go back to just kind of what you're talking about and what Kent alluded to. Right. That, you know, going to the dermatologist is like torture. It can be. But I, I just want to say that for me, so I had both two partial knee replacements. And I had to go to physical therapy. And it was pure hell. But the physical therapist says, when you come see me, we're going to go to the pain level. But before you come, take some Advil and be prepared. Because in order for you to heal and to get four range of motion in your knees and to get back to where you want to be, you're going to have to experience a little bit of pain. And unfortunately, because the on our skin, the sun damage has been done, you know, we kind of screwed ourselves a long time ago. And I've known two people that have died because, you know, they didn't get checked. So... If they would have just at least gotten checked, they would probably be still alive today, I, w- I would guess. So going to a dermatologist, going to and getting getting checked is preventative. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, is, yeah, you know what? You, I mean, you have two choices. <laughs> do you want to get it frozen? Do you want to get it cut out? Or, you know, do you want to not go and potentially, you know, face the potential inevitable, which could be you could die. Right. So I think going is an absolute must and, and necessary as a preventative you know, type approach. Going back to the purpose of this podcast being for men in their 50s and up, I think there is that generational factor of for a lot of men that are 50 and older, that was the time where sunscreen wasn't really spoken as this preventative thing it was mandatory or recommended for everybody it was a lot of the the baby oil and iodine era which i hear a lot and then going back i think further there is kind of that generational stigma of going to the doctor period and then there's kind of the stigma of just going to see a skin doctor you know and i think there can be some men that are stubborn about going in there and they think it's going to be this kind of giant tedious exam or there's going to be this complex thing. And as you know, I mean, man, it takes minutes. Yeah. And so a lot of them, I think, are surprised when they come in. We're literally in there for five to 10 minutes for an exam. They're out. It's done. See you in a year. And I'd like to make a quick note that we are not gender specific, that we uh, do include women. So on a note, Tom Tom didn't know that. so, so So everything that I just said then, gender neutral. Gender neutral. Applicable for all. There you go. So knowing what we know, and maybe we got into the game late because of our age, we could give some advice to our kids. I got kids in my 20s, 25. If they'll actually listen to well, When should they start maybe thinking about dermatology appointments? I have parents that bring their kids in every year, and we're talking kids that are like the age of five and up or even younger sometimes. I don't think there's a rule of thumb. You know, I mean, I think it's a, if your insurance covers a yearly skin check, get in and do it. Good deal. Actually, Jeff, to get more specific, to use examples, you know, I mean, I have seen patients that are as young as in their early 30s, late 20s that have had severe melanomas that have had to be referred to oncologists, have had to have lymph node biopsies done, now are seeing yearly oncology appointments as well as dermatology appointments. So yeah, definitely. There is no age. So my 20, 24, and 27-year-old, it's not too early for them to come in, get a checkup. Not at all. Be done with it. So, a uh, question. I'm pretty high risk. I'm redhead, fair skin. Mm-hmm. You said type one, mm-hmm. probably point one, five for, one, yeah. for me. Because <laughs> I'm the kind of guy I grew up pre-sunscreen era. Yeah. Burn peel, burn peel mm-hmm. every summer, you know, no big deal. So, and my father had a melanoma. So, what? 
So right, so, so you, you're right. So you've got skin type one. You've got that first degree relative history of melanoma. Right. So yes, for you, I mean, you would be one of those people that you would be hammering into their head. Right. Get in here every year. For so, some people, get in here every six months. I was going to say, what frequency would you recommend for somebody that's a risk factor? Well, I, you know, there's always going to be that. What does insurance cover? You know, I mean, there's always going to be that limiting factor of the money. When it comes down to it, money is always going to be an issue. And so, if insurance covers something more frequent than a year, then yeah, go for it. Six months. If you have a history of skin cancer, you know, I have I have gentlemen that I see that that honestly are retired and come in every three months, or every time there's a questionable spot that they just say this wasn't there, it popped up. Is that a little over? vigilant yeah maybe so but i mean i think there's there's no price to peace of mind and so i think you know yearly for sure six months maybe that would be even more advisable for somebody with a history of skin cancer okay what would it be for a, a self-pay just to come in and see you and get a skin check oh gosh man that's a good question with no procedure um you know i really i really couldn't tell you that i think that cost has changed i think at one point it was around in the 30s like 30 35 bucks i think maybe now it's become 50 bucks i don't i'm not sure on that i know my copay when i come in with the insurance is like 55 bucks for us because you're a specialist yeah and and i think you know that's i don't know what a self-pay would that's be that's one of those where it's going to be kind of dermatology specific too i mean yeah. you know depending upon your limits as far as working with patients and You'd have to talk to your, your dermatologist it's, about it that. It sounds one. affordable, though. Yeah. I mean, I, it, so, once again, know. I mean, I, I think it's it, the price that you're putting on that can be absolutely priceless if you're someone with a history of skin cancer. So it's a great time for our co-host and our guest co-host to get a drink of water. FKU 50 would like to thank our sponsor, Farm Bureau Insurance of Florida. Without their generous support, this podcast would not be happening. Farm Bureau Insurance of Florida wants you to know that life insurance is not a get it and forget it type of insurance. Quite the opposite. Life insurance should be evaluated at least once a year. The key here is to review it after any major life changes like marriage, having a baby, change in a job, divorce, or loss. Life insurance provides protection for some of your most important life events, such as replacing lost income due to a loved one's untimely death. Burial expenses, which average ten dollars to $20,000, pays down or pays off mortgage, debt, or college tuition. Life insurance provides you and your family the security necessary in every season of your life. All right. Let's talk about hobbies and the fun things that we all enjoy. Just let's take a, a rabbit trail. Tom, why do you enjoy jujitsu? Oh, wow, man. Why do I enjoy jujitsu? Because it's hard. Because you like hurting people. Well, I, I don't know, man. I would say... Well, yeah, I just put that together. At, at this level, I like being hurt, apparently, because that happens a lot, too. Yeah, um, because I think it's a challenge. You know, I think it's a challenge. I think it's practically applicable. I mean, are we allowed to talk about what you do for work, Jeff? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, Jeff uh, would be somebody to ask as far as the practical uh, application of jiu-jitsu to life as far as actual physical encounters, right? I mean... Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a great workout. Um, I think it's both a physical workout and a mental workout. You'll oftentimes hear it referred to as a physical game of chess. And I think it's one of those things that it's not easy. And I think it, it teaches you a lot about humility because no matter how good you think you are, there's always somebody better. And you're daily having to deal with getting submitted tapped, choked, and walk away and... So a little you know, humility. Right? Yeah, you do. I mean, you know, I think it's the great thing. You go beat each other up at the end of it. You slap hands. You say, hey, way to hustle. That was an awesome effort. Thanks for choking me. Um, I appreciate that. And I'll see you tomorrow. Nice. That's a good reason. <laughs> so my... Uh, my, my, my um, hmm. 
Your mother. My mother. My skin moisturizing procedures are this. Mm-hmm. So after this that was sh- an interesting segue, by the way. I'm not sure how that connects, <laughs> but I'm I'm really hoping this is going to dovetail back to jujitsu somehow and skin moisturizer. I'm looking forward to how. Well, that's you need to be happen. able to slip around on the mat, Ooh. you know. Yeah, I'm, it's not that kind of wrestling. I'm pushing it back and maybe. Yeah, I'm pushing it back. I just wanted to chase that rabbit trail. That's okay. all. Sure. So I'm coming right back at it. All and right. So after my shower and a good shave, I um, apply generously Cetaphil. Okay. That is my go-to moisturizer. What, am I using a, a moisturizer that is good for my skin? So yet again, the answer to the whole moisturizer thing would be, it's kind of a Goldilocks analogy, really. You know, there's a lot of good brands out there. Yet again, I, it depends on who the dermatology provider you ask, the opinion's going to vary. I like to keep it simple. I'm a big believer that you don't have to use fancy things and still have quality things that are going to take care of your skin. So for me, common brands are over-the-counter like Cetaphil, CeraVe, Neutrogena, Aveeno, all make very comparable, very similar products. And so I think going back to the Goldilocks analogy, it's finding the one that works for you. You know, People are going to have different opinions. This one feels too heavy, too oily, too greasy. This one's just right. It works. You want to use it, go for it. Question. I use CeraVe, mm-hmm. you know, and I use it every day on my face and neck, ears, whatever. You're you know, so pretty. Well, I got to the point where it's like, okay, I used to just use sunscreen when I knew I was going to go to the lake or whatever. But, you know, you get sun, sun exposure every day if you mm-hmm. go outside, right? So I just wanted to keep it simple. You keep saying, what? find something that's a simple routine mm-hmm. or whatever right. and stick with it. I mean, is am I overdoing it uh, or, you know? putting on this stuff daily on my face or do you think that's about right for somebody like me as far as moisturizer you're asking me well this is the CeraVe with the SPF 30 I think right so so yet again I think there is I think you're talking about the combination where it's a facial moisturizer and a built-in sunscreen so I think that's fine as far as you putting it on first thing in the morning but if you're going to be outside for once again you still have to think about that number of it's a 30 is that going to last me all day no is it going to last me for that morning until I get out on the lake or I get going It'll give you a few hours, maybe, but I mean, if you start getting out there in the sun, sweating, then it's time to reapply a dedicated sunscreen. Okay. Did that answer your question? It does. Cool. It's interesting how you talk about consistency. Mm-hmm. We, on a previous podcast, we talked about exercise, and the exercise physiologist talked about finding something that you like, so, something that worked for you as it relates to fitness. And then creating some consistency. Now, it's interesting that you would bring to the table, you know, finding sunscreen that you can consistently use and be successful with. And moisturizer is the same thing. So I find it quite unique that no matter what our subject or what our topic might be, consistency seems the ongoing theme yeah. to being successful. And I'm sure throughout all of the various subjects, I mean, I think everybody, nine to five, has so many hours in the week. You've got to find a routine that works. You've got to slot that timing into your day and, and stay consistent with it. So I think things that don't require thought as far as once you have a good routine going, you've got a product that you use, you don't really think about it. You just do it and you make a part of your routine, stay consistent with it. Going back to skincare, though, did you want to talk about more extensive skincare as far as things like estheticians and things like that, where the role for that comes into play? Yeah, let's do that. So, I mean, you know, a lot of times people will come in and say, okay, so I'm using sunscreen. I use a moisturizer. What else do I do? You know, I think everybody's always thinking about anti-aging and things like that. And so I think you've got kind of a, a broad spectrum of skincare that takes you past using a moisturizer, which I think is foundational. I think it's invaluable 
valuable for skin just to consistently put a moisturizer on daily. But if you want to go further, you know, and everyone's, that's, once again, it's going to be kind of case specific. Everybody's opinion as far as what's too aesthetic, what's too much is going to vary. But I think that there are estheticians out there that provide a variety of services such as facials and, and microdermabrasions and microneedling and all things that are designed to increase collagen production in the skin, to declog pores, to shrink pores, to exfoliate skin. So I think all of these things work synergistically to really just kind of renew the skin and give you every avenue of fighting the aging process, fighting sun damage, fighting genetics. Do you think science is ever going to come up with, or have you heard of in your, in the group that you're in professionally, whereby they're going to come up with something, either some type of genome change or some type of supplement that you could take one day that will eliminate the risk substantially? of skin cancer. Gosh, I, there have been pills out there that are purported to kind of help with sun damage. I'm not sure really the validity of them. I'm not sure on a pharmacologic or pathophysiologic level how that really plays out and what the validity is behind that. It's possible. I mean, sure. I know that we're using things now for anti-aging that, that blood is drawn. We utilize the plasma and then reapply it to the skin. Yeah, it's, it's amazing stuff. Where am I going to see on my body the most amount of potential sun damage. You got your head, you got your arms, you got your legs. I mean, it's, it's really kind of those areas that jut out, your nose. But yet again, it's going to kind of vary. It's going to vary generationally. You have certain generations that weren't really big shorts wearers, so you're going to have sun-exposed areas <laughs> everywhere. Stay away from the nude beaches, though. <laughs> yeah, true, true. <laughs> All the angles. I'd never have been there, so I don't think I have any worries. I'm good. <laughs> So the places that you might not think of, I mean, yeah, you know, your forehead, your arms. Right. Y yes. I think I know where you're going with this, Doug. So there is this misnomer that sun-exposed areas are the areas that you need to worry about the most for skin cancer. However, there's a lot of scenarios in which things like melanomas, basal cells develop where there wasn't necessarily chronic sun exposure. And so people don't even realize that. I cannot tell you how many times somebody comes into the office and says, hey, I've got this spot that I want you to look at, that they're adamant. This spot needs to be looked at. And we look at it and it's absolutely nothing. And we have to convince them, hey, while you're here, how about we do a skin check? How about we lift up your shirt? How about we do the waist up? How about we we'll meet you halfway on this? And we end up finding something that definitely needs to be biopsied that they were totally unaware of. What's interesting to me when I came to you are my shins. Mm -hmm. So when I'm in the sun, I can see the sun hitting me a lot of places like my shoulders or like the top of my head or my forehead that are a little more horizontal to the sun. Mm -hmm. But on my shins, it was, I already had, you know, you already cut out a big spot on my shin and he did a hell of a job. But I mean, it's, those are the places that you would never think of and, and wearing shorts and running around, you know, when you're a kid during the summer. It's like when I got sunburn, I got it on my shoulders, I got it on my nose, that, you know, like you're talking about. But my shins, it was like, that's like the most odd place right. to have skin cancer. Well, I mean, I got to <laughs> tell you, for me, it's the legs for a lot of people. I feel like a certain pattern just to people having trouble spots. For some, you know, like you, Doug, it seems to be your legs that just pop up spots left and right. And that's across the board for people, golfers. I see a lot of golfers that have a lot of leg issues or arm issues. You've also got people where it's, it's on their faces, maybe 
somebody that's a trucker that's driven for years and years and had that left side of the face exposed to the sun. I mean, I think everyone's probably seen those pictures online of the the comparison of the left and right side of the face. Are you familiar with what I'm talking about? No. There was a couple of pictures that came out a while ago. That if you Google them, you've got a kind of a breakaway or a, a kind of side-by-side comparison of a guy that drove for years and the left side of his face is totally more aged and got skin changes, what we call solar elastosis on the left side of his face and and precancerous changes in the right side is dramatically less um, sun damaged. But so going back to that, Certain people have certain areas. For some people, it's their arms. For some people, it's their faces. For some people, it's their necks, their chests. For some people, it's their legs. So the right side looks like they're in their 20s, and the left side looks like they're in their 60s? Yeah. And then when they get photographed, they just... Unless they're in England. So really, they do have that good side, yeah. They do have a good side. Oh, yeah. So there's not a distinct line front down the forehead? Well, it's not like Two-Face or anything like that, you know. Doug, you can buy a British car and switch sides. That's a great idea. I think I will. Wait, are you saying that then he would be equivocally... Yeah. Sunburn, damage, skin damage Right, yeah, on I was both trying sides. to figure out where he was going with that, though. Was there another hint there? Give your left side a break. Yeah. You know? So what are the latest treatments that are going to be best for my skin from the sun, damage from my from the sun? We're talking about for precancerous changes, or which, what specifically are we talking about when you, when you say treatments? Well, let's go with, um, with the first, just with sun-damaged skin, where maybe like the blue light you're talking about. Right. So the blue light, which, I mean, if anyone's had the blue light done, they can attest, as that story did, to the tortuous nature of that. Yeah. People scream sometimes as that's going on, and this is probably going to totally deter them from even considering it. But it's a fantastic treatment. So the way it works is that when we bring somebody in and we see they have a lot of precancer changes on their face, it's a scenario in which if you've got what we call focal precancer lesions, if you've got lesions that we can feel that are mound up, that are kind of like these what we call keratin Pull-ups of keratin on the skin, we freeze them. We call them focal actinic keratosis or precancers. For someone that's got a lot of diffuse but more subtle changes in the skin, we would do something like a blue light treatment and where we're treating the entire surface area, what we call the field of treatment. And so we break that down typically into two areas. One is going to be the scalp. The second is going to be the face and the ears. So we bring them in and we have a chemical called Levulon that we have the medical assistance paint on the skin. We allow it to incubate in the skin from anywhere between an hour to four hours. The longer the incubation period, the more intense the treatment. And that's kind of then based on an initial one hour to kind of test the waters and see how the skin responds. We then put them underneath the blue light for about 15, 16 minutes and change. It activates that chemical. The chemical then targets all the precancerous cells in that area and kind of seeks to do a a one fell swoop treatment for precancerous changes. We have them come back in a month. If there's anything residual, we freeze away. Duck, I hear you were the ones that was crying. I was, but I, but I was happy to know that after I could not take the amount of pain, and it was tremendous. That I, I was, <laughs> I was sitting in the in the exam room, and I said, I can't do this. There's just no way. So that's what happened. You never use the word can't. No. So what I, I and then I was looking around the room, thinking, okay, I'm a big sissy. But no, I found this brochure in the room that said. of the individuals that experience this procedure experience so much pain that they cannot do it. So I said, okay. So that's true. I found that in your office. Really? Yeah. Huh. Well, now you're going to scare everybody away from the dermatologist. No, but no. Yeah, no. I mean, I'm going to have to take that out of the no. office. I didn't know that was in there. Yeah, but what, I, what are you doing? Leaving that kind of nonsense in there. I don't know. But I did not have to do 
the blue light special because I went to the topical, the ointment on the head that's the chemical peel, which... Yeah, I believe you're pretty adamant about that. I think there's a lot of expletives uh, utilized in the adamants on not de- undergoing the blue light treatment. No, the colorful language comes from Tom burning or freezing pre-cancer, you know, off my skin. No so, pain. But, but, no gain. But I, I recognize the value you know, in that. You know, John Mellencamp that wrote a song that uh, the lyrics were, Sometimes love don't feel like it should. You make it hurt so good. <laughs> I feel like that's applicable. So what you're saying is you're giving this with love. And because you want us to be healthy and to heal and to get rid of these skin cancers. Yes. And it hurts you. And it hurts us. Yes. <laughs> well, I could see Because that. I care. It's kind of like the parent. It's going to hurt me worse than it's going right, to hurt right. you. Yeah. 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 Sure. I never believe that. <laughs> so we all have phobias. Mm-hmm. What are the top three phobias that someone might have when they come to see a dermatologist? It's mm, a good question. Well, I can tell you that one of the scenarios that I see frequently is that people that, that start to have this predisposition for creating skin cancers on a particular area of their body, say the legs, is that a lesion comes up, we address it, we have to cut it out. Another lesion comes up, we have to address it, we have to cut it out. And there becomes this kind of pattern of, man, I can't believe we have to do this again. Man, I can't believe we have to do their surgery. And so there becomes that hesitance of like, I don't even want to come in. I want to ignore it. I want it to just leave it alone because I don't want to have to undergo getting it cut out, going through the surgery time, go through the recovery time. And so the problem with that is that it continues to perpetuate. It gets bigger. It gets deeper. The chunk that gets taken out is larger. And then the downtime is greater. And so I think that's that's really the scenario that I see the most is people are terrified of what's going to have to be involved to get it gone. And yet at the same time, delaying it creates an even bigger problem. Get checked. I mean, really, really, it, you know, it's quick. It's not a horrible experience. You know, I mean, I can't tell you. I, I mean, I know, Doug, I've tortured you a good amount over the years, but relatively speaking, I have people come in and they say, man, if I got to go to three doctor's appointments today, this is the one that I look forward to because typically, at least at our office, we have fun. It's quick. It's relatively, most of the time, painless. Maybe a little bit more pain for some. But relatively speaking, you know, we're not writing prescriptions. We're doing skin checks. We're trying to be preventative. And, you know, it gives you peace of mind. All right. I'd like to thank Tom and Heining our resident dermatologist PA for being here with us today. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I thank my co-hosts, my awesome cousins, Kent and Jeff. And uh, we look forward to being back with our listeners. And so for that, we'll see you next time around. And the great thing, the great yeah, thing I mean, it's definitely designed to take, it's it's a, called a tissue sparing procedure. So, I mean, yeah, the purpose is to take only the amount to clear the skin cancer. Yeah. I'm talking here. So, <laughs> so the great, the great thing about Mo's is the, is the procedure is you, you get a burrito when you're done at some of these yeah. places, right? A burrito? Doug, that is just unbelievably horrible. I can't believe it. Well, I mean, is. he's right that we do provide lunch if you're <laughs> ready to go. He's oh. the burrito Mo's, burrito Mo's.